Hey, let's, would you join me in a prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we're here to meet with you personally in your presence and in your power. And I pray that as we open up the words um, that you've given to us in the Bible, um, I pray that through your Holy Spirit would the, the meaning of the events and what you're teaching us through your Holy Spirit would it lift up off the page and emblazon itself in our minds and in our hearts. God, open up our eyes wider to take in more of your truth. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So it's the last of the Christmas series messages. That's why we left the Christmas gear up. And we've been tracing, um, you know, all through the series we've been tracing the different things that the Bible commands us to behold. Now, you know that when, um, because the Bible is God's word, it's God talking, and because God is sovereign, whenever it has an action verb that it's telling you to do, that's, it's not a recommendation or a suggestion. So in some ways, when the Bible tells you to behold something, it's, it's, it's kind of a challenge for us. What the word beholding means is, certainly you can look at it on the surface and take away you know, plenty of common sense meanings. But what the Bible is telling you to do, therefore what God is telling me and you to do, is to open our eyes wider and to, and to look, to perceive. To perceive means to be open. It means to allow the truth to get itself into the corners of our minds and our hearts to really kind of push us on what we think, what we believe, where our hopes are. We, so we were just singing that song, you know, I, I believe in all kinds of, you know, I, we listed off a bunch of things that we believe in. And, you know, sometimes in the, uh, in the Bible's accounts, when the people who were, you know, recording the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they write things. There's sometimes that we're in a, we come up against something and we kind of scratch our heads and we go, mm. the weird meter, you know, starts tacking over to the right. And, uh, and this is one of those. Uh, today, we're going to keep, keep going in the Christmas story, and we're going to be looking at the time that the three magi, we're going to talk about them, that we three kings of Orient are. You know, everybody remember that song? We three kings of Orient are. Wrong on at least two of the three accounts in that one phrase. Um, they followed a star to a door, you know. First, it indicated that they were supposed to go to Bethlehem. First, it indicated there was a king, and then the scriptures told them where that king was going to be born, and so then they went to Bethlehem, and the Bible tells us that they were bursting with exceeding joy when they saw that the star came to rest over the house where Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus were. What happened that night? What what was it exactly that told these three magi? You know, no, not that house. Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. This door right here is where you're going to find it. What was that? And what does that mean? Um, and so I'm going to ask you to take out your copy of God's Word. And you're going to open up, we're going to open up to the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew is the only one of the Gospel writers that records this event for us. It's one of the reasons why it's a delight that we have four Gospels 
because given four accounts, you know, different, different authors, they don't cover exactly the same events. Sometimes we hear about something only by one author. And if you think about that, if it wasn't for Matthew and if it wasn't for God inspiring Matthew, we would have no idea that these magi came to visit Jesus. I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter two, and I'm going to ask you to try to behold this. And some, for some of you, you've heard this story a hundred times. And so because it's in your memory, you know, you, you can, it can sort of roll right through your mind. And don't let that happen. Try to hear it as if it was the first time that you heard this. Think about what these, what these events meant for the people. What was Mary, what was it like for Mary that day? What did it sound like in Bethlehem? Okay, now, I'm at uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody with me? Okay. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he? Who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you've found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us everything that you tell us here. I pray that you'd help me and help us all to, through faith, through your gift of faith to us, help us to take these things, to take them on board into our lives and to set them underneath our feet as a foundation for our lives, the way we think, the way we act, the way we love. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. Now, I hope that one of the things that you notice um, in, the, in the preaching that happens here is, I mean, all we really do is just we put our finger on the verses and we just go through this and say, we just ask it questions. What does this mean? And what is this? And what other connections do we see in the Bible? And one of the reasons why we go through it like this is um, because this is not supposed to be the only place that you do that. You know, it's, um, I'm pretty sure, isn't tomorrow New Year's Day? Am I right about that? Yes? Okay, tomorrow we're going to turn the page on a new year, and if you're making resolutions and you haven't made the resolution to read through the Bible in a year, you should. Pick a Bible reading plan. There's one on the YouVersion app. I'm sure a lot of you guys have that one. Uh, You can go through the Bible in in a whole year. And one of the reasons you should do this over and over and over again is because one of the real treasures of the Bible... um, 
is that the longer you read it, the more rich it becomes. And one of the reasons why it becomes more rich is because of all the connections. I mean, did you notice um, in, Matthew, or in Matthew chapter 2 in verse 6, um, and in verse 18, and in verse 23, Matthew is telling us that all these events that are happening are a fulfillment of Scripture. Now, I just want to tell you, if you went back and said, okay, I know that's a, that's a reference to a place in Micah. If you went back and read that chapter of Micah, you'd, you'd scratch your head and go, how did Matthew see that this was about Jesus? And if you went to, um, if you went to chapter 2, verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping on loud lamentation. If you went back and read that in Jeremiah, you'd say, how in the world did Matthew know that that's what that was talking about? Um, one of the reasons to keep feasting on the Bible is because the Bible opens up to you deeper and deeper and deeper the, the more and the longer that you read it. Um, it's one of the reasons why I do. I want to reiterate something that Chris was saying about coming to base camp. Um, base camp is kind of a place where we give you the overall roadmap of the Bible. And if you get your head on straight about some of the main concepts of the Bible from the very beginning... Uh, it means the deeper and deeper you go into it, the, you're going to be building on a solid biblical foundation as opposed to doing what I've had to do a few different times, which is to say, oh my gosh, almost everything that I thought about this one subject was totally off. And I just wish that I'd had a stronger foundation from the beginning. I'm going to encourage you to be there. Um, and so one of the reasons why we, you know, we teach through the Bible like this is because this is supposed to be a good appetizer to get you started for plenty of other digging into God's word through the week. I hope that you're doing that. Um, boy, this, this chapter brings exactly what Christmas means right home to us. Because it tells us that people are going to respond to Jesus very differently. How did Herod respond to the birth of the king? Not, not well, but consistent with who he was as a person. Um, Herod uh, came to power through some great family connections. His father was good friends with Julius Caesar, Roman emperor. And through his relationship to Julius Caesar, his father uh, got him into politics. So this Herod started out as the governor, uh, interestingly enough, governor of a territory that was north in the uh, nation of Israel called Galilee. Famous town, not made famous by him, made famous by Jesus. And Herod was a good leader, quite, quite a builder. He was one of the very few people that the Romans ever put in charge of the nation of Israel that was able to keep things fairly calm. And this is one of the reasons why he, he got promoted. He went from being a governor, and eventually he would become the king. He's the only Herod in the New Testament that will be called king because he's the only Herod who had leadership of the whole country. Now, he got leadership of the whole country by, on one hand, being a great government leader and a great builder. His building projects were immense. Some of them still stand today. If you went to the town of Jerusalem and went to the Western Wall, pretty sure that's the Wailing Wall, and you put your hand on a brick, Herod built that. But he wasn't only, um, he wasn't only a savvy builder, he was also um, a brutal man. Um, he was very suspicious of anybody who'd be a threat to his leadership. He had multiple wives killed. 
He killed multiple of his sons and family members. Um, when he, he wasn't a very popular guy. And when he got, he got sick at the end, he died of gangrene. At the, so he knew he was going to die. And when he knew he was going to die, he had a bunch of the noblemen of Jerusalem um, arrested, detained, brought together in one place, and he gave orders. He said, I understand that when I die, no one's going to cry. But he wanted there to be mourning when he died. And so he gathered the noblemen and said, when I die, kill all these people. That way they'll be crying at my death. A sicko, huh? How would you like to have him as your leader? And see now, can't you see why when he hears that there's a king, for him, it's an automatic thing. Oh, I know what to do. When, it, when was it that he was born? Oh, you, sorry, you saw that star two years ago? Okay, so now I know that he's in Bethlehem. I know it was two years ago. And he sends his men, go down to Bethlehem. Every, two, every boy under the age of two you know what to do. What do you think it sounded like in Bethlehem that night? And so this is one of the reasons why we know that this event, in spite of the fact that the wise men are typically at your manger scene, they weren't at the manger scene. They, you know, their travels brought them to visit Jesus. Potentially when he was, you know, a year and a half or two years old, Jesus might've been running around while the, while the Magi were there. And some of those kids that got killed were probably his friends. And that's Herod. And so when the Magi show up in Jerusalem, it says that Herod was disturbed and it says the whole city of Jerusalem was disturbed. And I hope that you can kind of make sense of that now. The whole city of Jerusalem knew if Herod is upset, we're all in for it. You know that old saying, um, when, uh, if mom's not happy, nobody's going to be happy. You know what I'm talking about? It's, this, it's the same. Well, I mean, I don't think mom's going to be issuing, the, you know, there's a difference here. But, I mean, we all understand that what's going on with our leaders, things happen with us because of that. And so the whole city of Jerusalem is disturbed because these magi show up. And they, you know, they show up in Jerusalem with a, with a question, where is he? Where's who? Where's the king? The king that's been born. And you can see how that immediately for Herod causes a problem. Wait a second, I'm the king. And can't you see why this is... Matthew's telling us at the very beginning, and if you, we can see this all the way through his book, um, Jesus is a crisis for people. Almost, almost every interaction that people have with Jesus, from the, from the time that he's little to the time that he's on the cross, he's a crisis for people. People have typically one of two responses almost all the time. People freak out. People either freak out for the positive and do things that are surprising. Like, uh, remember that time the, the woman anointed him and she got down on her hands and knees and she was crying on his feet and she took her hair and wiped his feet off. Doesn't that seem extreme? Isn't that weird? 
Okay, people, yes, that's weird. And the reason you know that is because no one's ever done that to you, have they? If you saw somebody doing that, wouldn't you be like, Aren't, that's, that's a little over the top, isn't it? Could you just use some soap and a towel? There's modern conveniences for that kind of thing. I mean, think about what that would have been like to be there while she's crying. Because that's how people reacted to him. But then another extreme way that people reacted to him is the way that Herod did. Why? Because, see, this is one of the reasons why this account is so important to keep attached to the Christmas story. Is Jesus the Savior? Absolutely, he's the Savior. Is Jesus a king? What's the, what's the challenge if Jesus is the king? I mean, I hope it's obvious. If Jesus is the king, that means one thing. You ain't. And people don't like to hear that. I mean, honestly, we'll send people to represent us, you know, down in Washington, D.C., who think they're the king. And they'll think that they can redefine things like marriage. Who created marriage? God did. Who's the king of marriage? God is. What is a marriage? What God says it is. And we have people who say, no, 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 no. Actually, I think that a marriage is this. So I do decree that this can be called a marriage right here. So is the day of people saying that they're, you know, we, we want to be our own king, is that day over? No. We can't imagine a day when, you know, those people who have placed themselves on the throne of the world saying, we can define what's right and wrong for ourselves. We can't imagine any of them saying, um, for our own security, prosperity, and convenience, um, it's okay that children die. We can't imagine living in a society like that, can we? It's no more popular today than it was in this day, the news that Jesus is the king. And okay, let's bring this down because you're like, well, I'm not in the Senate and I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a world leader. I just go to work nine to five like the next guy. I'm just trying to carve out a good life for myself and play golf once a week. Amen? I'm trying to too, I'm hoping. Um, it's one of the hard things about accepting Jesus as king is, um, can you disagree with the king? If the king says, this is the way it's going to be, can you, is there a court of appeals? And see, this is why to have Jesus as savior and to have Jesus as the king are, are that's because if he's the king, then who isn't? You're not. If he's the king, is he the king over just a part of your life or the whole thing? So who's, who's actually in charge of your calendar this week? You or the king? Uh, who's in charge of your financial life? You or the king? Who determines what you watch, the words that you say, where you live, what you do? You or the king? I hope everybody could feel, on one hand, we could look at Herod and say, Herod's a terrible guy, would never be like that. 
There's not one area of your life that you have a hard time letting Jesus be king over. And then the other way to respond, the Magi. Okay, now I mentioned in that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, um, they're not kings, and even wise man is a stretch. Probably the Bible would be better just to have left the word alone, magi, because it's actually a, tr- it's a tribe of people. It's a family line of people. Um, the magi can trace their way all the way back to Abraham's day. Abraham lived, and when he was called, he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. The Chaldees is an area over basically in modern-day Iran. Um, and the magi were a, were a family line of priests, And these priests played a special role for their people of mediating between them and God. They would look into the heavens. They would look into the stars. They would interpret dreams. It was their special role to advise and counsel kings and and world leaders. Um, One of the places that they show up in the Old Testament is in the book of Daniel. And if you know anything about this story of Daniel, I mean, it's an incredible story. Um, he's pretty famous because he got thrown into the lion's den, remember that? And then the lions didn't eat him. That was a great miracle. Um, but one of the things that got him into that whole predicament was because the king, um, the king of Babylon was named Nebuchadnezzar. He had a dream and, he, and there was a vision he couldn't figure out, he couldn't interpret it. So he called together the Magi, this priestly line of... Um, this priestly family line to say, interpret the dream. What is God communicating to me through this? And they couldn't do it. But the one person who could do it was Daniel. And because Daniel Daniel successfully interpreted the dreams, King Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel in charge of all the magi. He was the lead magi that was there. And so, you know, from Daniel on, one of the things that we see the magi doing is this priestly group of people is they're, they're, um, they play a special role in giving counsel to and approving kings. And so it makes sense their role here. And actually, if you wanted to, I don't have time to go into it, but there's a great Bible teacher, John MacArthur. He's out in Southern California. You can look him up. Uh, Grace to you is his website. He did a whole 50 minute sermon tracing the history of the magi. It was, I mean, it's astounding. Um, but so one of the things that he talked about and one of the things that we learn about the Magi um, is that through their history just like the nation of Israel they were split between different groups Um, some of those groups led um, evil wicked worship but some of, the, some of the Magi were faithful. Now, if we remember, Daniel was not the only Jewish person who was living in Babylon at that time. A whole group of Israelites, the, um, typically the, um, the elite, the most educated, the most useful, were taken from Israel and lived in Babylon. And in the book of Jeremiah, God told them that I brought you here to Babylon and this is, I brought you here to benefit Babylon. Now, I know that this is a bit of a history lesson, maybe a little further than we usually go, but I want you to stick with me here, okay? So this means that this family line of priests that played such a critical role all the way from Abraham, all the way through Daniel's day, all the way up here to Jesus' day, um, that if Daniel and God's people were in Babylon, it is almost certain that they would have had a copy of the Old Testament scriptures, 
And so now what Matthew is showing us a picture right here in this chapter. Some, some priests from Iran looking at the Bible and actively looking for the king saw that he was born and seriously inconvenienced themselves to travel all the way from there to come and see Jesus. And Herod reacted one way with hatred and anger. But Herod didn't understand. He didn't know where Christ was to be born. So he called together the chief priests. Now, when he called together the chief priests, the chief priests would be both a current, the current high priest and also previous high priests who had now been succeeded. And the priests and the scribes all got together and said, oh, he's born in Bethlehem. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. If you were one of these priests in, in the nation of Israel, and the whole Bible had been pointing to a day that the Messiah was going to be born. And these visitors come all the way from Iran and say, it's happened. What would you do? Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. The leading religious leaders in the nation of Israel are six miles away from seeing Jesus face to face, the King of Kings, what do they do? Nothing. See, because there are, there's three ways of responding to God. Three ways of responding to Jesus. One way is Herod's way. To say, I'm going to remain ruler of my own life and I'm going to reject him and I'm going to eliminate him. I'm going to cut him off. I don't want anything to do with them. That's one way. Another way is to respond the way the religious leaders did, which was indifference. They, the, the most important character of the entire Old Testament is born in Bethlehem, and they don't even go down and see him. And then there's the way that the Magi responded. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with joy exceeding. And then the star rested over the house and they went to the house and what did they do? Well, what do priests do? What do the priests in the Old Testament do? They lead worship. And so the priests go and right there is Jesus and I don't, you know, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to picture this, isn't it? You know, picture 18th month old Jesus, how little his shoes would have been. You know, how little are 18 month shoes? Something like that. I don't know what kind of outfit he wore. He probably wasn't still in swaddling cloths. Probably a little tunic that his mom made for him. Oh, look, that's my cue again. This happened again. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, five more minutes, please. <laughs> now, you and I, we can't hardly imagine this because um, we've never known a perfect and sinless 18-month-old. You haven't. 
an 18-month-old who was never selfish. You know, what would have been, what would have been the look on his face when he looked at the Magi? And when it says that the Magi fell down, I mean, grown men, not only on their knees, probably bowing down on their faces, little 18-month-old Jesus holding out his hand and giving them the honor of kissing his hand. See, we, Matthew's given us these three pictures. You can respond to Jesus like Herod, where his, his birth and his presence as the king is a threat to your sovereignty, and it is. And you go, no, I, I don't want anything to do with them. I want to be in charge of my own life. You can shrug your shoulders and be like, I'm Or you can reverence him. I want you to notice. Everybody who responds rightly to Jesus, their life gets disrupted. Did you notice that? That Mary and Joseph who have, you know, who are caretaking Jesus. He's, the, there's nobody in Joseph's life that is more important than Jesus and nobody in Mary's life that is more important than Jesus. And I'm sure that neither one of them when they were 15 dreamed of picking up and moving to Egypt. But whatever Jesus needs is what Jesus gets. And the citizens of Bethlehem, the town they were living in, here's what I'm saying. Um, Because the world is not changed at a heart level, Ever. It means that these are still the ways that people respond to Jesus now. And all the, all the people, especially the powerful, who pull the levers of our culture, run the universities and the media companies and the, you know. Um, because they're, they're trying to be God. And they have their own religious system and therefore, almost any subject matter at work or at the public library can be talked about except Jesus. Have you noticed that? And this is one of the reasons why Jesus said, you're going to have to carry your own cross. Because as soon as you reverence Jesus, as soon as he becomes your king, then now you're attached to him. 
And the way they feel about him is gonna be the way they feel about you. And we know that on the cross, Jesus was crucified in a very public place where you could walk by him on, on your road into Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us as people walk by Jesus up there, I mean, think about, think about this for a second. How would you feel if you walk by a man being crucified? I mean, would you feel empathetic? Would, I mean, would you just, I mean, I don't know. I probably would not look. I would just like, I'm just going to walk on the road right here. It says that people looked, looked at him, walked by him, and made fun of him while he was up there. I mean, they hated him. You think about how much you have to hate somebody that while they're suffering and being crucified, you're adding insult to injury and mocking somebody while they're dying. That's how they felt about him. Why? Why is it like this? Because remember, Jesus does not come into neutral environment. Jesus is born in a world, born into a world where the people in that world, by and large, said, we want to run our own lives. And we don't want you telling us what to do. Has that changed? The outfits are different. The food's different. The mode of transportation. Nobody rode a camel to get here today, I don't think. Human heart's been the same. Jesus said, the world hates me. You and me are bonded together. That means it's going to hate you. The gifts that the Magi give, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of conjecture about what those things mean, and I don't know. I don't know what they mean. I know. You're like, great, I'm finally going to find out what gold, frankincense, and myrrh about. No, you're not. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but this isn't the, this is the first time that Jesus has given myrrh, not the last time he's offered myrrh. On the cross as he was dying, they offered him wine that was mixed together with myrrh. Has an anesthetic effect, a narcotic effect. And Jesus is like, mm-mm. See, this is the thing about Jesus that Herod didn't understand. You know, and frankly, some of our own leaders don't understand. Herod had a vision of being the king where the king lives off of his people. They exist for him. The problem is that's, that's never the way it's supposed to be. Bible, the, the king doesn't ask everybody else to die for him. In the Bible, the good kings give their lives for their people. 
David one time, King David was thirsty for water and his mightiest, bravest, most courageous, most loyal, his secret service guys broke through the lines, got him water and brought it back to him. And instead of drinking it, he poured it out. Because he said, no, 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 no. The men don't die for the king. The king gives his life for the people. That's not, no, I'm not doing that. Because I, I mean, honestly, I'm, I promise I'm wrapping up right now. The, that thing is hard to swallow when I just tell you, Jesus, Jesus is the king. He's the sovereign. What he says goes. Stop being rebellious against the king and do what he says. Do you leave encouraged? But no one's going to answer. <laughs> do you leave encouraged? <sighs> But never forget, what did, he, what did he do? What did he do to be king? He died for his people. And what are you bringing him? Magi didn't just get down on a knee and kiss his hand and adore him. They also made their love and thanksgiving for him tangible by these gifts. Is that what you're doing? But they didn't just bring him gifts as a way to say, here's some gold and frankincense and myrrh, take that. Jesus told us where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there too. And the Magi brought their treasure and they brought their hearts and both of them they said this is for you you're the king can we find another where are you at and I want to encourage you you know especially if because I, I doubt that there's many people who came to the church services like I walked in here hating Jesus and I'm just I'm, I'm simmering I'm just I'm brewing right now with hatred for him but there may be a lot of us that are indifferent about him and I just want to say anything but that the last book of the Bible Revelation Jesus is Either be hot or cold, hate me or love me, but indifferent about me, anything but that. Now, I would appeal to you. Don't hate him and come out of your indifference to him and behold him. Everybody's going to worship. Everybody is going to find something of ultimate value and beauty to focus on, to behold, to think about, to treasure, to give yourself to. Everybody. And every other king is going to be a Herod to you. If you worship wealth and money, you can't take anything with you. If you worship love, being in love, worship beauty, if you worship power, if you worship control, you're going to work your whole life to serve that king. 
and it's never gonna die for you, you're gonna die for it. There's only one king that you can worship who the more that you give, the more you get back. And that's him. Behold him. Would you stand? Let me close in prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for um, thanks for Matthew and thank you for his account and thank you for the Magi. Thank you for the miracle of Christ's birth. Thank you for a king, a king that will die for his people, a king that died for me. And Lord, I pray, you know, for everyone that's here as we hit the new year, I pray that you, by your spirit, would lead us to a deeper sense of admiration, devotion, love, and obedience to the king. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.